0: Hi everybody, my name is Larsine. I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon. Hi, and I want to thank Jimmy for asking me to be here and all of the hospitality and the wonderfulness uh, that's been laid upon me and uh, Walter for picking me up at the airport and Cynthia, um, and true Al-Anon fashion, Walter did not find me, I found him. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> just the way it is. <laughs> I can pick an alcoholic out of whatever. I mean it's like it's like ridiculous. You know, Joe's talking about how they get you how they walk around without being noticed, bullshit. <laughs> Sorry, that's not what's going on. So um Anyway, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. You know, it's a little scary being the Al-Anon, you know, 10 AA speakers, one Al-Anon, 10 to one odds. I personally (laughs) like them, they work for me. Uh, I know that, um, you know, like I always always like to share, it's a little bit intimidating being the only Al-Anon speaker at an AA event. It's kind of like being the corpse at an Irish wake. Uh, No one expects you to say much, but they can not have the party without you. And uh, so, here I am. (laughs) uh, But it is really an honor and a privilege to be here, you know, and the list of speakers that you have is truly phenomenal. Some of them are very close and dear and precious friends, you know, and some I know so well, some I don't know quite as well, and I'm looking forward to getting to know them better. Uh, My life is better because of Alcoholics Anonymous and my exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous, and, um, and I love AA. I absolutely, positively do but I'm not an alcoholic, and I hate to break it to you, but not everybody gets to be an alcoholic, okay? (laughs) There are some of us who are holding the world together while you finally figure out what you're trying to be when you grow up, and uh... (laughs) And that would be my group, okay? Uh, My group. But anyway, we have a lot of great speakers, you know, and, and they say a good conference is like a good orgy when it's all over you don't remember who it was that made you feel good. So, uh, <laughs> and hopefully that will be your experience this weekend because to me that's really what the program is, Al-Anon or Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it doesn't matter who touches you, it matters that you're touched. You know, that's what really matters here because I think we really come in here, AAN, Al-Anon, untouchable. And, um, and that we can laugh about these things. And uh, you know, my sponsor always says, "You know, we got sick together. What a great, great experience it is when we have these kind of events. You know, that we get this opportunity to share recovery and get well together." And, um, and I am very, very grateful for that. Um, I've been asked to share on the chapter, you know, the family afterwards in, in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I read it. Um, I'm kind of like, uh, it kind of reminds me, if you've ever seen the movie Patton, and, and he's going to war with uh, Rommel, and, 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 and they w- ask him how he beat him, and he goes, well, I read the damn book. That's how I read, you know, because Rommel read a book about, uh, how, about how to do it. And, and, and when I first started doing this deal, you know, that was about what it was about. How am I going to get over on the alcoholic? What do I have to do? Cause it, because that that's the family disease of alcoholism. You know, it wants you to think that there's a war going on, that we're in separate camps, and uh, you know, and I have, and that's the whole premise to me of the family disease of alcoholism is to tear your family apart, and um, and and I definitely participated in that. Now, when my husband first got sober, my husband got sober in July of um, uh, 1979. He's 34 years sober, and. Uh, and he went through a hospital program. They had just started this hospital program, signed up for it, and uh, he went through this program. And, uh, and I didn't know any... I knew very little about Al-Anon. I had been to Al-Anon once before. And, um, but um, m- my husband comes home, and he, and he hands me the book, hands me the book, and he goes, you got to read these two chapters and do what it says. And... Uh, <laughs> because that's what he was told, and uh, you know, but again, uh, and and, uh, it's so important to remember stuff like this, you know, because the people that were telling him, giving him instruction were people that maybe had five days over what he had in Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff like that. They told him I shouldn't go to Al-Anon. That would be a bad thing if I went to Al-Anon. That's what the guys with 15 and three weeks and a month thought, you know, and stuff like that. They took a group conscious and decided I should not go, and so, um, but anyway, and so when my husband gave me, you know, the chapter to the wives, the family afterwards, you know, I did not like these chapters at all. Did not like them one little bit. You know, any anything that starts out with "our woman folk," you know, <laughs> is not going to go down well with me. Okay? <laughs> I am a lot of things, but a woman folk, I am not. And uh, <laughs> and I know this book was written a while back, and and I do appreciate. You know what Bill was, uh, you know, trying to do at that time. But basically, what I got out of these two chapters is the alcoholic gets sober, and your job is to kiss his ass now. You know, and I mean, and that was pretty much. That's exactly what it says. Don't upset them. You know, don't upset them. They're trying so hard, and nah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just like you know. It was, it was incredible to me. I mean, sometimes I still read it and I'm like, you know, it's just, <laughs> but what I really understand and, 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 I, and I wish it would have been a little bit more clear, you know, in these chapters, you know, is, is that what Bill was trying to talk about is new sobriety, you know, and it's just new sobriety and, and, uh, and just giving a person a chance, you know, to get a handhold on something before you can go on to another part of your life. And um, and unfortunately, you know, for people like me and stuff like that, when my husband got sober, boy, to me, it's over. I win, game, you know, I'm gonna get everything I want now how I want it. You know, and I'm gonna get mine now. You know, and then this book is pretty much telling me that's not gonna happen. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, I have to Be nice and understand, and he has a disease. (laughs) And don't forget the sensitive feeling portion, you know, that's a really big, big deal. Sensitive feelings, it's all in the book here, right here, you know. Uh, So, holy crap, I just thought I was dealing with an idiot. And uh... (laughs) so, I want to stay on task here, it's really important for me to do that. You know, and then then there's other things it talks about in the book, and so briefly, you know, I mean so briefly that has, you know, to me such a major impact. You know, and it it talks about, um, you know, the alcoholic may find it hard to reestablish friendly relations with his children. And um, you know, they cannot seem to forgive and forget. They may hang on for months long after their mother has accepted dad's new way of living and thinking. And in time, they will see that he is a new man. And then they go on in the book about, you know, about how you know how they long for the days when dad was this and dad was that, and you know, when he was happy and he loved you and he took care of you. And you know, I didn't have that dad. I never had that dad. You know, I had an alcoholic father. I grew up in an alcoholic home as well. You know, and I never had a dad that you know was happy or whatever. My very, very first um, feeling towards my father that I remember feeling was fear. Absolutely, without a doubt. My dad's a mean, drunk, and he likes to hit you, and he likes to make you feel bad about yourself. And when you're a little kid and you're growing up in that, I don't know anything about the disease of alcoholism. I don't even know that alcohol has anything to do with it. I just know my dad is a really mean guy. You know, and of course, as I get older, I know that you know, his alcoholism had everything to do with it, but you don't know that as a little kid. And my dad never uh, knew sobriety. Uh, my dad died when he was 55 years old. He died... Uh, The death that they talk about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Total Insanity and Death. I can't even tell you the last words my father said to me. They were so violent, so vulgar, I wouldn't even begin to repeat them from this podium. And I always say the last words my father said to me, when in reality today I know it's the last words my father's alcoholism said to me. You know, because when my dad died, that's all that was left was just his alcoholism. That's all that was living in that body. And, um, but of course, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. I had absolutely no knowledge of that. And um, so I came with an attitude already about all of that. And, uh, you know, and when I read stuff like that in this book, it just made me angrier. It just made me angry. And um, you know, because I never even got to know that good part of that person. And I, and I know that that part existed. You know, I have absolutely no doubt about that. And I know that because I've heard a lot of people that are a lot like my dad share from Podiums of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and I understand the part of it being a disease, but I didn't. And uh uh um when my dad died, you know, I had only just started coming to Al-Anon. I started coming to Al-Anon in June of uh, 1981. And uh, my dad died in October of 1981. And, um, and I, but I knew nothing about the loving and kind portion of the program by any stretch of the imagination at that point, you know. Um, I'd just been coming to Al-Anon, but for a few months. And, uh, and when my dad died, my mom had since divorced him, and I'm the oldest, and so you know, all the responsibility of his care, all the legal stuff, that was all in my name. You know, I had to walk through my dad with that whole deal going on. And, uh, and when my dad died and, uh, and uh, you know, the hospital staff came out to tell me and my sisters that my dad had passed away, you know I'd like to tell you what sadness there was, but there was absolutely not. My sisters and I were like, ding dong, the witch is dead, da, da, da. And I don't tell you this story because I'm proud of it. I tell you the story because this is where the family disease of alcoholism will take you, that you will be glad that someone's died. Because for us, the reign of terror was over. You know that's how, that's how we, you know, that's how we looked at it. The reign of terror was over. And I know without a fact, as I stand before you today, that my sisters and I were convinced that when my dad died, you know, that all of that died with him. You know, that his effect on that, you know, that it was just over. You know, and I'm here to tell you today that what happened that day was a man died, you know. But the family disease of alcoholism, that legacy that he left us, was very much alive and well in all of us. In all of us. That didn't change one iota. Not one iota, and uh, and I had a lot of dealing with my dad, um, a lot of very very bad feelings about it. I did everything that my sponsor asked me to do, and Al-Anon we do the steps as well. It's imperative, and um, and I did all the steps, and I did everything my sponsor asked me to do. But it didn't matter. Seeing what 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 writing I did, what inventory I did, you know, whenever I would think about my dad, I would think about the things that he did, the things you know, the physical beatings. Worse than all of that, the um, the verbal abuse. You know, my dad did not like having girl children. He always made it very clear to us that we were bad for being girls, and blah blah blah. And uh, and what I know what and what I know today is, I got a lot of lot of misinformation from a man who had a lot of misinformation. That's just all that that was about. But anyway, I did all this stuff, and I don't know, you know how you are, you know. But you know, when when I would think about something my dad had done, or you know, some another experience that had happened, I would just get so angry all over again just like it had just happened again, all over again, so angry. And I don't know how you are, but when I'm really angry and pissy, I like to take that home and share it with the people I love and care about the most. Because <laughs> we share here, don't we? And, um, and, and so, um, you know, and I didn't like being that person. I didn't like having that going on. And I remember talking to my first sponsor, Jeannie, about it, and Jeannie saying, you know, Larsine, Al-Anon isn't about the problem. Al-Anon is about solutions, and we have to find a solution for you. She goes, and I'm gonna give you an assignment, you're not gonna like it. And, the first, and, 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 and uh, she always said, you're not gonna like it because that's how I am about everything in Al-Anon and, I, and you know, I just think it's trivial. I just think I have huge problems and they give me stupid little things you know, to do that don't help at all. But her assignment for me was, I want you to go home and I want you to think about a good thing your dad has done for you. You know, My initial reaction is that there's no such thing. Because again, with the family disease of alcoholism, doesn't ever want you to see anything positive. You know, it's all—it's all doom and gloom. It's all, you know, high drama. It's always crap. And uh, and so I told her right out of the gate, I didn't think that I could come up with a good thing my dad had done. I didn't think there was such a thing. You know, I just—and again, the family disease of alcoholism would never want me to see that anyway. But the one thing I have learned from the very beginning in Al-Anon that I really consider God's grace for me, and don't ask me why, it is really a, a true, true gift, is he gave me the gift of willingness. I heard in the beginning that if you're not willing to do anything different, how can you possibly expect anything to be any different? And I picked up on that, and I always have, and I'm so grateful for that. Mind you, I only had this much willingness, but it, it, you know, this program is so powerful. That's all you need, but you need some. And I had that much. And I don't know how long it took me, a week or two weeks. And I finally came up with a thing, you know, that I thought my you know my my dad had done that was good. And you know, and I live in Southern California and my dad had taught me how to drive. You know, and if you're gonna live in Southern California and marry an alcoholic of your own, it's just a skill you simply must have. You know, I mean you just gotta have that skill. So he taught me how to drive. And again, I don't think my sponsor's gonna be happy with this answer. I don't think she's gonna like it very much, but that's her problem, not mine. And uh, she gave me a Simon and I did it, and I took it to her, and and again, not thinking she would be happy, but I I hope, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, that you are sponsored like I have been sponsored, you know, because sponsors, boy, they want you to do well here. Believe you me, they want you to do well, for a lot of reasons, you know, but, you know, one of them is it makes them look good, you know, I mean, without a doubt, it just does, but... And that's why you should do what they tell you, because see, it's a win-win situation, you know? You do good, they do good, everybody's doing good here, but no, no, we gotta fight that tooth and nail. So, uh, but, um, but I went to her thinking she wouldn't be happy, and I said, Jeannie, I thought up a good thing my dad had done, and oh my God, you'd think I'd come up with a cure for cancer. The woman was ecstatic, you know, jumping up and down. And, uh, and we do get excited in al we just don't let you see it too often. And, uh, <laughs> That's from all the great sex we've had with you guys over the years. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I said, so anyway, she, you know, she's already okay. What, what happened? I said, my dad taught me how to drive. Oh my gosh. You know, again, just nothing but ex- exuberance, excitement. That's wonderful. That's wonderful, scene, You know, because, because what I didn't know when she gave me part one, because I was still very new, is that, is that when the sponsor gives you an assignment, there's going to be part two. I just didn't know that. I just thought I had to do the easy part. You know, and now, and now I had to do part two, and that's the hard part. And, that, and, and, and what she wanted me to do with that, she goes, now whenever you think about the things your dad said to you and did to you, I just want you to take that negative thing and replace it with this positive thing your dad had done. You know, and it wasn't too long after that that I came up with a second thing my dad had done and a third thing that my dad had done. You know, because one more time, the family disease of alcoholism doesn't want you to know It just wants you to live in that disaster and that crap. And I don't mean to tell you that I grew up with this father who was, uh, you know, was verbally and physically abusive, drunk all the time. I mean, I don't remember my dad not having, I don't have a picture of my dad without him having a can of beer in his hand, nor do I possess a memory of that. And I don't mean to say that, you know, that all this stuff happened and my sponsor gave me this little stupid weenie assignment and I did it and then everything now became okie dokey Because what my sponsor gave me was she gave me the precious, precious gift of forgiveness. And never underestimate the power of it, never. It says in our Al-Anon literature that forgiveness is no favor. We do it for nobody but ourselves, nobody but ourselves. And see, and I thought if I forgave my dad, I was letting him off the hook. And I was not going to do that, because I was the kid. He was the dad. He's the one who's supposed to make me feel good about myself. I'm supposed to be daddy's little girl, not this stuff that's going on. And, um, and what I know is that alcoholism is, was, is what robbed our family of that. My dad, how my dad was affected by the disease of alcoholism, ultimately how I was affected by the disease of alcoholism. And I am, and I am so grateful to know that. And, you know, when my dad died, he's a, my dad's a military guy. He was in the army forever. You know, he retired from the military, and he had. And my dad is a is a World War II veteran, a Korean War veteran, highly decorated. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and so when he died, they cremated him, you know, and then the military brought me his ashes, the flag, his medals. They bring them all to me. I happened to be home alone that day when all this stuff comes to my house. and all, um, They salute and they give me the stuff and they walk away. My husband's not there, the kids, my sisters. And so I take my dad's ashes and I went downstairs and I put them in the garage and I put them on a shelf. And I said, and you sit here and you think about what you did. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And he sat there for a very long time, a very long time. I'd be down there doing the laundry. You want to talk to me now, huh, Sarge? Now what well, do you got to say, Sarge, you know, and blah, blah, blah. You know, here's Sarge. Look at And I would look, look, like, Here's girls' underwear, you know, just whatever. And I had total permission from my sponsor to do that because you got to work through it. You know, you absolutely positively do have to work through it. And... Um, and, so, and, and what I think about my dad today is, you know, is, is, I think about, um, is, is I think about what a good man he really was underneath all of that, that I know that there was a really, really good person there, that I think that I get to stand before you today because of him, you know, that there's parts of him that I know are parts of me. And, um, and because of this program, you know, I get to live a life that's free from that anymore. I don't dread my dad, I'm not afraid of him anymore, and I'm not afraid to see him, you know, when the time comes for that. Um, anyway, you know, going on to this deal, you know, so, um, you know, I'm a list maker, I love a list, I love, and i more than loving a list, I love checking stuff off the list. I'm a list checker offer person, I just love it, it's a freaking orgy to me, you know, it's like a <laughs> orgasm, without a doubt, you know, I mean, when, I, when the list and everything is checked off at the end of it, you know, and what I know is that's just me. You know, that's a a lot to do with how I've been raised and affected by the disease of alcoholism. You know, I try and have, I like order in my life. It's just comfortable for me. You know, that's where I find my comfort and I'm good there. And when I came to Al-Anon, I thought Al-Anon would be about changing everything that there was to change about me and that that was all wrong. And what I've really come to learn here is what Al-Anon wants you to do is just embrace who you are. That's what goes on. Alcoholism steals away from you who you are supposed to be. You know, and what Al-Anon gives me the opportunity is to be who I am. And, and if that's an orderly person who likes things like they like it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when I try and force that on other people, that's where it becomes an issue, where my way is the only way. My way is the way that works for me. And what Eleanor gives me is the gift to understand that, but more importantly to understand is you gotta do things the way you gotta do them too. Doesn't mean they're wrong, just means you do them different. But you got to be just as comfortable with it as I am comfortable with my order. It's just the way that I like it, and I and I am nuts about it. I mean, I am crazy. And um, uh, I was telling Polly the other day. Last year I was on a trip and. Uh, and 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 again, I'm very ordered about my travel. This goes here, that goes there. You know, I got everything together. These are my flights. These are my gates. This is the weather. This is what's going on. And uh, and and they like change the gate three times. You know, I, this is very upsetting to me. I do not like this. is not order at all. This is chaos. And uh, and not only that, I'm in Dallas Fort Worth, so I'm going from A to B to C. You know, and I'm so I'm getting flustered. I'm getting worried. I'm going to miss my flight, and it's already been weather delays, and it's late. And uh, and so finally I get on the plane, but I am, I am, I am just burnt out from the whole experience. And so I start looking through my purse and I'm talking to my husband and my cell phone is not where it is supposed to be. And I am hysterical. I go, Oh my God, I left my cell phone in the terminal. Oh Jesus. And then my husband's like, what are you talking to me on? And, uh, (laughs) okay, mind. Hang up the phone. You know, so it's not about getting super well all the time or whatever. Because these are the things that will still very much upset me today. You know, I, because, because again, one more time, this is my go-to. It's just like whenever things are getting chaotic, you know, I need to have that order. I need to have that so I can just breathe in and breathe out. And, um, and God is that order for me today. God is that order for me today, and uh, you know, and, and, and in the chapter, you know, of a, the family afterwards, you know, when it talks about the spiritual journey that the alcoholic has to be on, you know, and I think it's just as imperative that the Al-Anon be on it as well, and, um, and of course, I didn't know any of this stuff when it's going on. Um, I met my husband when I was 17 years old. I met him on a blind date, and um, and my husband's several years older than me. He was like 24 years old. He'd been married once before, had a kid. Um, you know, many many clues that there was something wrong with him. You know, but, but they all went right over my head and uh, and, you know, and believe you me, I had a list about what my life was going to be like it's, you know, when I'm 17 years old because I know now what the, what the problem in my house is. You can cut the hate in the house I am growing up in with a knife. You can cut the hate in that house. And believe you me, I've got an index card for me in the order about what my life is going to be like. You know, and I'm going to marry somebody and this guy is just going to love me and he's going to want nothing but girl children and, uh, you know, and and, and one of the things on the list is he is not going to drink because, boy, I know that that's the deal that's going on. That's the deal that's going on. And up until, you know, I'm 17, I've learned early on, keep your nose clean, do what the Sarge tells you to do. You get straight A's in school. You know, you excel in everything. I join every club there is in school, you know, and I know that today so I didn't have to come home. You know, but along with, you know, being really good in school and doing those kinds of things comes, you know, you get accolades at school and award ceremonies and things like that. But I know better than to ever tell my parents that I'm getting an award, you know, because I've done it a couple of times. And I'll tell you, you know, when you have a drunk dad show up at a school function, pitiful and, you know, incomprehensible demoralization is just not reserved for the alcoholic. Just not reserved for the alcoholic, you know. So I just learned, you know, don't tell them any of that stuff that's going on. And, uh, so anyway, and that's my life, and you know, so, uh, so up until I'm 17, I'm doing everything like I'm supposed to. I'm just de- you know, dating little weenie guys that are just as weenie academically little dudes as myself, you know, same age, pencils in their pockets, really geeky dudes. You know, this is in like the, the early 70s and stuff like that, and then I meet Butch on this blind date, and he's a hippie guy, you know, beard down to here, hair down to here, tattoos, no underwear, another clue, they're an alcoholic, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> It's a fact, don't even come and talk to me about it afterwards, okay? It's just a fact that ought to be in the literature as far as I'm concerned and... uh, (laughs) You know, and um, you know, and my husband from the get-go, I mean, he's a heavy drinker dude. Boy, there is no doubt about it and a lot of drugs are mixed up in all of that too. Right out of the gate, never hides it from me, never pretends there's anything else going on. You know, and um, and later on, when I came into al on if you would have said, "Larsen, boy, did you know Butch was drinking like he was drinking? Do you know he was doing drugs like he was doing? I would have absolutely positively denied it. Because of me too, how I'm affected by the family disease of alcoholism, it's a big fat lie, I'm going to be the innocent person here. You know, when in reality, he was always in my face with, this is what he does, and I could like it or I could not like it. But I will rationalize and justify my behavior to make it fit. If that's what I have to do, if that's who I have to be with. And, uh, and so anyway, you know, so I've got this list and boy, am I, you know, and this is, you know, this is what my life is going to be like and this guy's not going to drink and we're going to have this wonderful life and now I go out on this first date with this guy and the very first thing he does is we're going back to, um, back to his house, we've gone and we're with this other couple, we're going back to his house, which happens to be his mom and dad's house because that's where he lives with his mom and dad, another clue, and, um, and, uh, and he stops at a liquor store and he'd like me what, and he asked me what I would like to drink. You know, well, I am a 17 years old. I am a rule and regulation follower. I am really big on those things. I think those rules are very important things, and so I proceed to tell him the laws of the state of California. You know, and that I am an underage minor, buddy, and uh, and I know he still heard what he still hears today when he doesn't want to hear what I'm saying. He heard blah 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 blah, because he went in and got a gallon of Red Mountain wine, if nothing else, I guess, to impress me with his wine knowledge. I mean, I have no idea, and uh, and I mean and we went back to his house and we played this game uh, and it was a game, it's a legitimate board game. I read the rules. It's called Pass Out. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. You can still get it on eBay. and uh, But, uh, you know... And, um, and the object of this game is it's a drinking game and, uh, and, and I have a lot of rules in my head. It's you know, just a lot of, you know, I have this index card, you know, this Rolodex with all these index cards and I have a card for every conceivable thing that can happen on the face of the planet. Because again, that's my order thing, you know, I just, when something happens, I gotta take out the card, I gotta check off the things I am supposed to do that's where my calmness comes from and uh, and you know and i got a lot of rules about how my life is going to be and what i got to do and when you're when you hook up with an alcoholic man it is difficult to keep all the rules and regulations going in the right order that they're supposed to be going on so another rule i have is i must win every game i play you know so if you're going to play a drinking game the odds are you got to drink something if you're going to win a drinking game you know so i will violate my rules and regulations to accommodate that and so i don't know what i had a half a glass of this awful wine you know but I I won the game, that's what that was all about. But what I remember the most about that day is what a great time I had. I had so much fun. I don't remember laughing so much, ever, ever. And, uh, and feeling just, you know, just having a wonderful time. He just made me feel so good about myself. And, um, and like I say, I got this card about what my life is going to be like and, and now I got to compare him to this card you know and stuff and, and he's got six sisters so I know he's got no problem with girls you know so that's going to be an okay deal you know but he's drinking and that is an issue for me you know but that's on the list but again how I am affected by the disease of alcoholism again I will rationalize and justify my behavior however I have to to make it fit the way that I need it to fit you know and so and this is what I came up with that day you know where my dad when my dad drinks he wants to hurt you and he wants to hit you and he wants you to make you feel bad about yourself when my husband drinks, he's the complete opposite. He just wants to kiss you and hug you and tell you how pretty you are. I don't know about you, but I can work with that, okay? <laughs> There's just got potential all over it for me. You know, and again, and that's the illusion, you know, that I can do something different with this, that I can fix this the way that I want to fix it so that it'll be okay, so it'll work out the way in my imaginary life about what my great life is gonna be like. You know, and Butch and I pretty much started dating exclusively, you know, a really difficult, um, uh, to date, uh, an alcoholic, not always the easiest thing. Uh, basically, you know, he, well, first of all, he had a hard time remembering my name, okay? I mean, it's just like, you know, he'd call me, he'd call on the phone, Lucerne, Lorraine, whatever. You know, and my name is Larcine. I know it's different and it's weird. Uh, my dad named me Larsine. Um, my dad, uh, uh, I, you know, when I was in al a little while, I got really curious about it. And, uh, but my dad named me Larcene, uh, He, like I said, he was very unhappy with having girl children very, very unhappy. And I but I was first born. So because of that very special distinction, my dad named me Larcine, which he told me was the name of a town in Scotland. I should always be extremely proud of that, and I always I always was. Always was my dad told me to be, it's been ingrained in me to whatever. And then after I've been coming to Al-Anon for a while, I got curious about Larsine. My dad's now since died and stuff. And this is before Google's and computers and cell phones and crap. When you wanted information, you had to go to a building called a library. Okay, that's where you went to go get your information. And so I go to this, uh, so I go to the library to look up Larsine Scotland, and um, and I can't find it. So I go to the reference librarian because we just have this little weenie town library and stuff like that and I tell her what I'm doing and she says she'll write to downtown Los Angeles library and try and find out about it. Come back in two weeks. I come back in two weeks. No, there's no Larsen, Scotland. Place doesn't exist and I am angry. I am pissed off. You know, here I've gone through this big forgiveness exercise with my dad, you know, and stuff like that, and here he is stabbing me from the grave one more time, you know, and I am angry, angry, angry. And then we have this friend of ours who's uh, who's an AA who's a big golfer, and I guess he goes to Scotland every year, because that's the golf mecca of the universe or something, and he's on this. And he says, you know, Scotland's a very old country, Maybe there isn't Larsine Scotland now, but maybe there was like thousands of years ago. I know some you know, people in Scotland, let me check it out with them first before you go you know, crazy over it. Okay, great, off he goes to Scotland. He comes back two weeks later. Sorry, Larsine, no one's ever heard of Larsine Scotland. <laughs> so now I'm changing my name, screw my dad, screw the forgiveness thing, bite me. And, uh, <laughs> and I am at an AA meeting. I'm at an AA meeting with my husband and this friend of ours walks up to me. And says to me, um, "You know, Larsen, I found out that what you know, Larsen is a Scottish word." I'm like, "Oh my God, you are kidding me!" He goes, "No, it is Scottish. For father was drunk when daughter was born, so daughter got a weird name." (Laughter) Now, I am pretty sure that that is not true, okay? I am almost positive of it. But what he went on to say to me was, you know, Larcine, I'm alcoholic like your dad was alcoholic. And I don't know what he was looking at or what he was reading or what he thought. He goes, but I really believe that when your dad named you Larcine, you believed it was the name of a town in Scotland. And just because the gift isn't wrapped the way that you think it should be, is it any less of a gift? See, and left to my own devices, I'll change my frickin' name and hate you for it. You know, and again, like it talks about in the family afterwards about making misery for yourself. You know, but I bring it to you and you just show me a different way to look at it and I get the shot at a good life if I so choose to take it. And I really believe standing before you that my dad believes that Larcin is the name of a town in Scotland. Now I have AA friends who will be remain nameless who love to go to Scotland now, write my name on a frickin' piece of paper, stick it in the ground and stand there and take their cheesy picture and send it to me. <laughs> It has now happened on more than one occasion. I think about people driving around Scotland, they're seeing all these larcine signs all over the place there. <laughs> Only happens here. <laughs> but anyway, um, what ended up happening is, you know, as I dated Butch for a couple of years, I ended up getting pregnant. May not be a big deal to you, huge deal to me. You know, because that's breaking the big rule and the big regulation up above. And, uh, and later on when our life got really, really bad behind the drinking and using, you know, that was sure because God was punishing me. You know, and I'm here to tell you that if you have a God that's punishing you or that's the kind of God you believe in, you know, then you might as well get on up and walk out the door right now. I don't know what defense you would have against such a God. You know, the God that I have come to find here, you know, in Al-Anon, you know, is a loving God and all he cares about is that we're happy, joyous, and free. That's the plan. It's always been the plan. You know, and that's the plan for me and that's one of the things that I absolutely love about the chapter, you know, the family afterwards is that it talks about that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. And I really do believe that that is the plan and, um, and that this, you know, this program gives me the opportunity to live my life that way. But I am hardwired to think negatively. That is what I know to do. I, my first reaction is always anger, always, almost always in any given situation, you know. But being here has taught me just to push that one aside. You know, I don't have to go there. I can pause, pause when agitated. You know, it's not that, again, very, very simple, simple instructions can save your life over and over and over again, as it has for me. And um, anyway, so um, we ended up having this kid uh, and... and up until that time, I'm gonna tell you, I never talked much about his drinking and his using, not much at all. But the day after we were married, the day after we were married, I sat him in the kitchen chair and I told him the rules and regulations of the marriage. Okay, this is how it's going down, buddy. You know, and we'll get a babysitter once a month and then you can, you know, we can go out and party, but once a month, that's it. You're working, we're saving money, we're taking care of this kid. You got that, you understand? He's sitting in the kitchen chair, you know, he does this, which I think is, you know, you know affirmative, but I know today he's so drunk and loaded, he's just doing this thing, you know. And he's hearing the, the blah, 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 blah part, you know. And, uh, and I know this because, you know, two days later, he does not come home all night long. This is a huge violation of the rules and regulations I have sat down. Huge violation. And, um, and... Uh, You know, he says I talk as fast as I do because I only had so much time from when he came home to when he passed out to tell him everything it was that I had to tell him because by God, he was going to hear it. It's just absolute craziness. I don't have to tell you. you know, if, 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 if you love an alcoholic, then you know all that insane crap that goes on with that. You know, but I want you to know for a fact you know, that um, the fact that Butch and I got married, the driving force behind that was the fact that we had a child. There is absolutely no doubt about that. But I also want you to know that uh, Butch and I got married in a church. We got married in front of a minister. He was sober that day. You know, um, I know I loved him. I believed he loved me. And I believe we were as sincere as any two people are any two people are that are getting married, that we wanted to love each other and cherish each other and take care of each other and do all of those things. But what Butch didn't know and what I didn't know was it wasn't just he and I that got married that day, it was also the family disease of alcoholism. And I'm here to tell you the family disease of alcoholism doesn't love or cherish anything or anybody. It means to tear your family apart through the alcoholic or the non-alcoholic, totally irrelevant to the family disease of alcoholism. Totally irrelevant. and. Uh, and then, you know, and then that's just where the ride starts, you know, that's just where the ride starts and uh, and just craziness and whatever. And, you know, one time he comes home and to show you how drunk he is, he wakes me up at like two o'clock in the morning, shaking me, demanding to have his dinner. And he'd never done anything like that before and it really kind of startled me because he's really pretty easy going most of the time. And uh, so I kind of got up and I went in the kitchen, but then I fully woke up and I remembered who he was dealing with. And um, <laughs> I'd made this uh, Mexican casserole that had one jalapeno pepper in it, but of course, I had a whole canful of those suckers left over in the refrigerator and so I s- chopped up every single one of them and just stuffed it in there and you know he ate it his mouth must have been on flame and fire but he's so drunk he ate the whole thing anyway and then he's in the bathroom puking his brains out and I'm in the bedroom giggling in my pillow because I don't know how you feel but when my alcoholic throws up oh my god I just get a warm feeling all over it's just it's the best. It just doesn't get any better than that, you know? I mean, it's just where it is. You know, and what I know today is, again, where the family disease of alcoholism will take two people who love each other, you know, that you would want to hurt that person. And I know why I wanted to hurt him, because he was hurting me. And that's just really what it comes down to, because that's, the, that's my house of origin, that's what I'm raised in. You hurt me, then I'm going to hurt you back. That's the deal. That's the deal. And, uh, you know, I remember when our second son was born, and. Um, you know, and again, how this book, you know, when it, when it talks about the family afterwards and the things, you know, don't bring up, you know, don't upset, you know. Again, I don't know that there's a program for me. I don't know that there's a place for me to go with that. All I know is what this book seemed to be telling me at the time was I'm supposed to stuff that and I'm just supposed to swallow it down so the alcoholic can get sober. You know, but where do you go with that pain? I remember when our second son was born and we're in the hospital and this is 1976 and they do the little dinner thing where you have the steak dinner and all that kind of stuff. And guess whose husband is not there? I can't tell you how much that hurts. I don't understand it because he tells me he loves me. I don't understand it. And when he tells me, it's like when Joe was talking about, you know, he means it with every fiber of his being, but I don't understand the family disease of alcoholism. I don't understand that once he drinks, there is no more wife, there is no more promise, there is no more little kids. It just doesn't matter anymore. So I think he's drinking at me. Why? Because I don't talk to anybody about anything. It's really important that I just keep the cover going. You know, and so what I do is I just think up crap. It's just floating around the universe. I just think it up, lands here, becomes fact for me, and I act upon it. So I think he's drinking at me. I think he's trying to hurt me. So that's all I know is to do those things back. You know, and our life gets progressively worse as it gets progressively worse. You know, and that's just what happens in the family disease of alcoholism, despite all my best efforts to love him. You know, because I'm always thinking if I just love him enough that that will fix him. You know, and I'm here to tell you if loving could fix alcoholics, I don't think any of us would be in this room today if just doing that would, do, would, would be the deal here. Because it's an inside job. You have to love yourself first. And this, you know, the book Alcoholics Anonymous and those chapters in there are, the, are you know, are the, are the guides that show us how to be able to do that. How to be able to get out of self and be able to do that. Because it was just almost all, you know, we talk about the alcoholic selfishness, believe you me, you have no corner on that. You know, when I wanted my husband to be here and do these things, when I wanted my husband to be at that dinner with me, you know, the night in the hospital, you know, was it for the right reasons? I don't think so at all. Because it really mattered what you thought. What are you going to think of me if my husband doesn't show up? Does that make me love him any less? Is it supposed to make me love him any less what other people think, but the family disease of alcoholism wants you to think that because that 's how it perpetuates you know the hatred and the anger and the getting even part of the whole just insane insane, insane behavior and and um, and again, like I say, our life got you know progressively worse and progressively worse and and a lot of stories I could tell you, but uh, you know what ended up happening for my husband. You know, at at the, at the very end of his drinking, um, you know, somewhere in there I'd gone to Al-Anon. Um, we'd had a particularly horrible, horrible episode at home. He'd gotten he gotten hurt, and um, um, and I was just at my wits' end. I just didn't know. I really I knew he was going to die any day now, and I wanted to be a widow desperately. Believe you me, that that was my goal in life. You know, because one more time, that would make me look okay. You know, what somebody once said to me, why didn't you divorce Butch? And I'm like, and let him win? Pooh, I don't think so. You know, when he goes out, he goes out feet first. That's, that's how that's going down, the way I say it goes down. And uh, he's not getting out of this without, you know, still alive. And, uh, and um Anyway, we were going to have a family reunion. It was his family reunion. And, you know, and I made him raise his right hand and promise me he would be sober that day. And he did. I know he wanted to be. It was his, you know, like I say, he's one of nine kids. It's a big deal. And I got the only alcoholic out of the bunch. Lucky me. And, uh, and so, anyway, so the day comes. And guess who's so drunk and so loaded he can't even stand up? This can't even stand up. And I am so angry. I am pissed. And I'm here to tell you no matter how drunk or blacked out my husband has been, he has never ever raised a hand to hit me. But that day, I was poking them in the chest, and I was egging them to hit me. Let's just take it to the next level. Let's just go there. Because all I know is to keep pushing. I'm pushing in the wrong direction, but God, somebody's got to do something. And all of a sudden, I became very conscious of our boys. And that time, they were five and three years old, and they were standing on each side, of my, uh, uh, each side of me, and they were yanking at my pant legs. And I looked down, and these little boys were sobbing, tears just streaming down their cheeks. Mommy, Mommy, please stop yelling at Daddy. And I would like to tell you that I had a moment of clarity then, but I absolutely positively did not. What I started doing was I started screaming at those little boys. How dare they yell at me, you know, or cry at me when their dad's the reason our life is the piece of crap. And by the time I got done screaming at these little boys, I watched my drunken husband walk out the front door. And I, the sober mom, turned to the drunken dad and said, where the heck do you think you're going? And the drunken dad turns to the sober mom and says, I'm leaving because we're upsetting the kids. And I don't tell you the story because I'm proud of it. I tell you the story because this is where the disease of alcoholism took me and I think I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy here. I'm the one that's working. I'm the one that's keeping a roof over our head. I'm the one that's keeping our family together. I'm the one that bails you out of jail. I'm the one that lies for you. And I don't even have any idea how I'm affected by this. You know, and it says in our Al-Anon literature how we become nervous and irritable without knowing it. Why? Because we try and force solutions. I love an alcoholic and I'm watching this person slowly die in front of me and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm just relying on myself. So I do go to Al-Anon. You know, I've a friend of mine, her mom had gotten sober, her dad was going to Al-Anon, I asked him to take me to an Al-Anon meeting, he did. Good meeting, literature on the table, but not the piece of literature I'm interested in, which is how to get him to stop drinking and do what you want them to do. <laughs> I love that literature. <laughs> That's the kind of literature that appeals to me. Okay, I don't want to merry-go-round denial nothing. You know, bite me again one more time. It's just stupid stuff. You know, you, you know but yet when I was sitting in that front row, if they, said, if, you know, if they said, you know, Larsine, do you want your life to be different? Oh my God, do I want my life to be different. Larsine, what are you willing to do about it? Nothing, because it's not my fault. Not my fault, I'm real big on not my fault. I think that's super, super important here. You know, even though it serves me no purpose at all. No purpose whatsoever. You know, so I go back into my insanity. He goes back into his. And he got arrested for drunk driving. No big deal. He's been arrested lots of times for drunk driving. You know, why that drunk is the one that got him sober. You know, that's his story, not mine. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I wouldn't give that last drunk a freaking 5. I mean, it was just not that bad. You know, but... (laughs) You know, because I remember them all, okay? I was there for all of them. So, uh, but... um, But anyway, so you know, long story into short, you know, he ends up getting into this, uh, you know, this uh, program, and they have a hospital program. They just have started it, brand spanking new, and so they put him in the psychiatric unit, and uh, because he's got a detox from all the drugs, all the alcohol, he's been through the DT several times before when he tried to quit on his own. So now they're going to detox him, and I remember I'm leaving, you know, I'm leaving him there, and he reaches, and you know, I'm get to the doors, the guard's there to let me out of the psychiatric unit, and he calls me, Larsen, come back. back, you know, and and I turn around and I walk back, and I'm sure it's because he changed his mind, you know. Instead he reached into his pocket and he handed me the Valium that he brought in case of emergency. And he'd never parted with a Valium in his life, you know, so I knew something was really different. And I went home and I took it because I was a flaming basket case. (laughs) I'm not kidding, I think I slept like, I don't know, 36 hours on one 10 milligram Valium. But I was tired, okay, I was definitely tired and... uh, (laughs) You know, and then, and then you know, uh, to cheer him up, you know, our boys are like in kindergarten and preschool, I would make them the pictures, you know, the get-well cards the boys had made for him, but no, he wanted to show me what he made in occupational therapy that day, you know. And he'd be drawing pictures, I'd take him home, I'd hang him on the refrigerator, and daddy's sober now, look what he's doing, he's doing art, you know, and whatever. I don't know. I don't know. If it was up to me, he would still be there. You know, I am not kidding. I love the situation. I love the whole thing. You just go visit him when you want. They watch him for you. They lock him up every night. I love it. I love it. That was, and, and, you know, and I would have settled for that. I'm here to tell you in all seriousness, that's where our life was. I would have settled for that. Just somebody stop it. Just somebody, please stop it! And, uh, but anyway, they introduced him to the alcoholic portion of that, you know. And like I say, he's been sober all these many years, and I'm grateful, grateful, grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous. You saved the life of a really good man. Um, I always get a little weepy about this, and I am not a crier. That's one thing I despise about Al-Anon: is it will whoosh your ass out, and uh, <laughs> whether you want it to or not. But you know, I always think about if my dream had come true and my husband had died and I'd been a widow like I wanted to be. And then I want you to think about that really, really angry, angry woman raising those two boys, and I want you to think what kind of a family you think we would be now. You know, alcoholism, the alcoholic may kick it off, but boy, that's all it does. It's just the fly. You know, it's just the flame. You know, I'm the one that keeps those fires burning. When it talks about in the chapter in the family afterwards about the misery and wanting to live in it and keep feeding it. You know, when Al-Anon, is just the opposite. It's about, you know, how free do you want to be? Do you want to be happy, joyous, and free? What what steps and what what things are you willing to do, you know, to have those things happen? And anyway, when my husband got sober, it was all about the alcoholic. There was no family, nothing. You know, they said you should go to a Al-Anon meeting. I, I'm a rule follower, so I went to my A, Al-Anon meeting. So I went back to that first meeting I'd gone to, you know, like, you know, the year before or whatever. And, uh, and at the end, we saved the last 10 minutes for newcomer's questions. So I couldn't wait to get my hand up there. And I raised my hand and I said, you know, I was here a year ago and I asked you how to get my husband sober and you didn't tell me. And I am not going to tell you how I got him sober now. Because <laughs> I am taking full-on credit for that. And you know what they said to me? You got that right. Keep coming back. I'm here to tell you because if you're at a meeting, I don't care if it's AA or Alamon, and they tell you to keep coming back, that is because you said the most ridiculous, asinine crap. That is your only hope. Your only hope. That's why they tell you that. That is why they tell you that. You know, and I am a rule follower. Boy, I went to my meeting, they get a sponsor, you know, we work the steps, we go to meetings, we be of service, read the literature, I am all over it, because I do, I am a doer. Boy, just give me, I buy all the books, I am gonna be, I am gonna be president of Al-Anon, I have no doubt about that whatsoever. You say there's not one which I know is BS as well, you know, and blah, blah, blah. You know, and and, and against all, against everything I knew, you know, I did this deal you know and i and again i can't say enough about sponsorship and what that has meant to me my sponsors got me into the steps right away there is no it, you know you don't have to do them because you're an honor. you're not powerless over alcohol man they just jerk you right up right on the deal you know um, i appreciated very much you know the the spiritual um, Journey, you know, that we were taken on yesterday, and seeing all of that type of stuff happen, and uh, because that's a very difficult journey to be on, a very, very difficult journey to be on. And uh, but the way, but the way my sponsors explained to me about spirituality for me, because see, I wasn't having anything to do with God. My dad never raised, we never went to church, ever. My dad was the spawn of the devil. He made a big deal about that. That made us little spawnettes of the devil. You know, we were, I mean, that's just the way. My dad is a little kid. We're all going to hell. I'm going to hell and you're coming with me. That's what I know. That's what I know. And there is no God. Because if there's a God, how come he lets a drunk have kids? What is that about? You know, how come he lets people get hurt? What is this about? Where is this God when all this crap is going on? That's the God I walked in here with and want nothing to do with it, no thank you. And, uh, and struggling with it because my sponsor's taking me through the steps and if you're not going to do the God part, you're not going to get through the steps. You've got to eat the spinach. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I wasn't about to eat it. And, and I remember one night my sponsor and, uh, and my friend Crazy Jean were at, were at a meeting, eight, nine people, And that night, they say the meeting, Larsine, is for your benefit. You need to find God and we're gonna help you find him tonight. And everybody at that meeting shared to me their God, shared to me the God they found in Al-Anon. And uh, when that meeting was over, you know, Gene came up to me and said, okay, Larsine, out of all of this, can you find a God? And my answer was, no, Gene, I can't. If you were raised like I was, if your dad said the stuff to you that my dad said to me, then you know that it's not gonna happen for me. I know I can't do it. And then Jean said to me, you know, Larsine, why God gave you ears. Yes, Jean, so I can hear what you guys are trying to tell me. He goes, well, in most people's cases, that's true. But in your case, Larsine, God gave you ears, so you'd have something to hold on to while you yank your head out of your ass. And, um, and thus the spiritual journey begins. And, um, and that's how it had to be for me. Because he told me if I didn't do it. He told me if I didn't do it, you know, that... Um, you know, He just told me if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have the life I have today. I didn't know what I was missing. But I knew I wanted what they had. How important it is to be a good example here. How important it is to be a good example. And um, so I went home that night, sponsored, directed, stood in my backyard. Hello, God. Larsen Gatner. Gave him my address and my phone number. And... Uh, <laughs> And I was told specifically to say, I don't know if you're there, but I'm told that if you're not, you know, that I'm going to, that if you're not, you know, that I'm not going to, you know, that it's just not going to work for me. This is it. This is my home. This is the last step on the block for me. I can live in the anger. I can live in the resentment. I can live in all of that if that's what I choose to do you know, but I need your help because I know I can't do it by myself. Without a doubt, I knew I could not do it by myself because I am here to tell you if anybody can do it by themselves, it's this girl, okay? I spent my whole life doing it by myself, you know, and I'm here to tell you, you know, I can. There's a lot of things I can do. I can make things happen. You know, we talk about, oh, making your family, bullpucky, man. I can get those people. My husband would be drunk. The kids would be screaming and yelling. I'd haul everybody in the car. We'd have a picnic lunch, and by God, we'd go to the park and have a frickin' family frickin' picnic, you know, and it, we had it, by God. Don't tell me I can't do, have fun here if I decide we're gonna have fun here, and, you know, but I don't know all that. I don't know any of that, you know, but what I see is you. I see you laughing, you know, I see that stuff going on, and I want it so desperately. I want it so desperately for myself. And I would be at the meetings, and I would hear the people sharing all the wonderful stuff and how they did it, and God, I wanted to do that so badly, so badly. And I knew it was the answer. I knew it was the answer. Yet for me, you know, it would, it's like when I would get in the car and drive home, it would like it would all go out the tailpipe because it's not going to work for me. You know, because I had this horrible childhood, or I have this going on, or I have that going on. You know, and again, what it talks about here is if I want to keep the misery going, and I don't want to keep the misery going. And that's why it's so important. You know, to, you know what, what you get here over and over again, what's been given to me is the shot at a good life. If I so choose to take it, you will show me a different way to look at it. It will be all right. It will be all right. Um... I have a son who yesterday, my 37-year-old son, has 90 days of sobriety, and, um, and I have been extremely well handling that. I mean, I have kept hands off. My husband, on the other hand, needs to go to Al-Anon desperately, okay? I mean desperately. <laughs> he knows his sponsor. That's a bad thing. That's a very, very bad thing. But again, one more time, you know, what I had learned here, you know, with my son and the things that were going on with him are terrifying, because what's the worst thing that can happen? They can die. And it happens. That is and it's terrifying. I've lost my dad to the disease of alcoholism. I've lost my sister to the disease of alcoholism. So I know that they can die. You know, but what I got to learn in Al Anon with my son. Is, um, you know, kids are just the, some of the hardest duty you'll ever do. But they taught me about unconditional love and what that means. And what unconditional love means is that I love you unconditionally. There is nothing you can make me do to make me not love you. I don't care what it is, there's not. But unacceptable behavior is unacceptable behavior. And I can't let you take me down and everybody else in the family because of it. You know, so I know you've got to walk your path. And I believe that God is there for you when you so choose. You know, we talk about but for the grace of God. I really think it's but for the acceptance of God's grace. Because I think God's grace is so available to every single person. It's just whether or not you're willing to accept it. You know, and I had to let my son get to a part where he was willing to accept God's grace the way that he had to do it. Not the way that his mother did it or the way that his father did it. And his way is no less better or worse. It's the way that he has to do it. And because of that, he could come to us. Because of that, he could come to his dad 90 days ago and say, I'm in trouble and I need help. And we could step away and let him do the things he has to do. And again, I don't know how you thank people. You know how I had to come to a room full of strangers to learn how to love my own family, but that's exactly, exactly what happened to me. You know, and I am so so grateful for it. And I have to share one story that my sponsor always insists that I share. She's really big about this one because she wants you to know how hard she has to work and uh, <laughs> what a pain in the butt I am. And she always wants me to tell my story about my this son, this particular son. When he was um fifteen years old, you know, I've been in Al Anon, you know, about you know, 12, 13 years at that point. Or, excuse me, I'd been in Al-Anon 15 years. He was 18 years old, and again, a lot of troubles with drugs and alcohol, and a lot of things going on in his life. And I happened to have been at this conference this particular weekend, and uh, and it was a great conference. It was our local conference. We know everybody there, and uh, the speakers were great. The workshops were great. And You know how um, you're, at, you're at you're you know you're at the conference, and at, and on Sunday, you know, you just have so much fun and just so much. St- you know, spirituality and love is just like oozing out of every orifice of your body and, you know, when I come home from that trip you know, and and, uh, and we walk into the house and now I'm very regimented about my exercise routine and I'm a checker offer and, you know, and now I've been gone to this conference for three days, I haven't done my exercises for three days, so now I have to do like 72 hours worth of exercise in three days. I don't care if it works for you, it's what I gotta do. I gotta check it off. So, I had this treadmill and that's what I was doing at the time, so as soon as we get home on Sunday, I run in the house, get on my treadmill stuff and, and uh, Uh, And next to my treadmill is my son's weight bench. And on this uh, weight bench is a driver's license. It has information. I love information. And uh, it's a woman's driver's license. Her birth date's on here. She's 32 years old. She lives in Glendora, California. I instantly decide in 10 seconds or less, this woman has been in my house. She has had sex with my 18-year-old son. She has two kids, wants to marry him and call me mom. I am all over this story, okay? <laughs> Information from nowhere. Whoa, I'm running with it. So I run in the house and there's Butch laying on the couch, his favorite form of exercise. And um <laughs> And I show him the driver's license and nothing, because the man has no imagination whatsoever. I mean, he just has a driver's license, you know? So I tell him what I think happened over the weekend, and he's like, you know, just, you know, his eyes roll back in his head, you crazy woman, call Carol. Carol's my sponsor now, you're a whack job, you know? So, So I go call Carol. You know, and I tell Carol what I think happened over the weekend, you know, and she rarely gives me direction, but that day she told me to shut up. <laughs> just shut up. She goes, I know you're scared for this kid. She goes, you know what, Larsing? but it takes just as much effort to send good thoughts his way as negative ones. Why don't you just pray for him and think, instead of thinking up a bunch of more crap? you know, to add onto the plate. And again, I add my, I, in my conversations as I often do with my sponsor because I've been coming for a while. Never mind. You know, I just need to be reminded, you know, I just need to be reminded. So I don't know what it is, two or three days later, you know, my son comes in the house, he's got the driver's license in his hand, you know, now I've way forgotten it, many more episodes have come in the last three days, you know, so I've forgotten about it. And he walks up to me with the driver's license and he says, Mom, what do you do when you find a driver's license? Well, I do not tell him what I do when I find a driver's license. A very, very bad example of someone who's going to meetings, working the steps, sponsoring people, being of service, you know, because it is. It's about a daily reprieve. It's just about a freaking daily reprieve. You know, and when I want to get into my fear, boy, I know how to do it. I don't need any instruction or whatever. But when I want a shot at a good life, you are the guys I have to come to. You give me the opportunity to have a shot at a good life, you know? Why do I keep coming to Al-Anon? Ten seconds alone in the garage keeps me back day after day after day after day. And I am grateful. And I am so, so grateful for the life that I have today. And I thank you all very much for um, showing me how to love my family. Thank you.